If I were to leave people with one last thought, it would just be really just to listen to one another and empathize with one another. It's not a competition. We're all struggling together. So what's important is to just listen and to accept. And I think if you do that, then the person next to you will respond in that way too. Welcome to Wellness in Color on the Mental Health in Minnesota podcast produced by NAMI Minnesota, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Wellness in Color is a podcast series that explores perspectives on mental health to reshape the cultural language of mental illness. Visit NAMI Minnesota online at namimn.org. Subscribe to the podcast and listen on the NAMI Minnesota website or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, here is your host, NAMI Minnesota staff member, Caroline Ludi. Welcome to Wellness in Color. On today's episode, we're speaking to University of Minnesota student Jasmine Quinn. Jasmine, welcome. Hello, nice to be here. Thank you. Thank you for being here. So I'm just talk a little bit more about uh, Jasmine's background here just before we begin our conversation. Living with borderline personality disorder and post-traumatic stress disorder, 21-year-old Jasmine Quinn battles two worlds, the rigors of student life attending college in Minnesota, while also navigating her cultural background where talk of mental illness remains heavily stigmatized. Today she talks to Wellness in Color about the barriers she has faced both personally and culturally growing up first-generation Chinese-American. Working hard to knock down personal and cultural barriers, she shares how years of mental health treatment and support has given her a brighter outlook on the future of her wellness journey. Let's talk a little bit more about our sponsor here. These efforts were supported by the National Center for Advancing Translational Sciences of the National Institutes of Health, award number UL1. TR002494. The content is solely the responsibility of the authors and does not necessarily represent the official views of the National Institutes of Health. So Jasmine, just telling a little bit more uh, just about uh, your own story here. Um, kind of starting, I'm going to start with now the, the, the mental wellness part first. So now you're, you're 21, 21 years old and you're currently a college student in Nehru. So you live with uh, BPD, borderline personality disorder, in addition to post-traumatic stress disorder. But what? How? How are you able to support um, your own illnesses in terms of your own um, healthy um, wellness? Um, well, s- starting from junior year of high school, actually, I've been receiving treatment for my mental health, and I've continued that up until this day. Um, and I think that is one of my main ways of staying on track and coping with these because um, I've learned to live with it except um, instead of like trying to push it out of my life. Um, but uh, I go to DBT, which is Dialectical Behavioral Therapy. Um, that definitely helps with my borderline a ton. Um, it's a pretty intensive therapy program, but I highly recommend it to anyone who's going through BDP, BPD, sorry. Um, and uh, it's twice a week. Uh, there's a group aspect and an individual therapy aspect. And I think it's a perfect mix of enough therapy for you to learn and at the same time practice your skills. Mm-hmm. And so now that you're you know, kind of on this pathway to your own support, um, can you just talk a little bit more about you know, your, your background as you know, you said first-generation Chinese-American and, and as well, too, living with a mental illness? Yeah. 
Um, definitely. So my parents are both immigrants from China. Um, they both became American citizens a few years after they arrived here. Um, and then they had my brother and I in California. Um, so I grew up there uh, in a pretty diverse city. I grew up in San Jose. Um, it's a huge city as well. I think the population's over a million now, which is insane. Um, but my parents, up until about three, four years ago, were definitely not accepting or understanding of anything that deals with mental health. Um, in Chinese culture, it just does not exist. In China, it just does not exist in general. There's no treatment centers. Um, mental health is honestly thought of as like a taboo or a joke. Just um, They just don't find it a serious thing. Um, and not legit to them either. Um, so growing up, my parents had that mindset, and I actually started having difficulties starting in seventh grade, I believe, middle school. Um, and I remember going to counseling for the first time just in school, just the school counseling services. And um, uh, the first session was totally fine and free. And then after that, they required a parent's signature and I remember I brought the form home and my parents refused to sign it. So I couldn't receive any more counseling after just one session. Um, and so that's where um, things started to kind of go downhill. Um, I faced a lot of family difficulties. Um, my family was pretty broken around uh, 2013, 2014. Um, my mother, uh, left us for about a year and a half. So I lived with my father and my brother for a while, just us three. Um, it was just a lot going on and um, a lot of abuse, both physical and emotional. Um, and at the same time, I was not allowed to get any sort of help. Um, and also in Chinese culture, there's a huge uh, stigma on like saving face and like, like, making sure that there is no shame within the family. I'm sure we've all like seen that within like Mulan or something, but it's actually very real. Um, so my parents were very adamant about never ever speaking about these problems outside of our household, um, which I know is pretty common in many cultural um, families. Um, and I did because I was in a very, very bad place to the point where I wasn't allowed to cry at home because my mom saw that as a sign of weakness and just of not being a normal person, which is obviously not true at all. Um, so I would often cry at school because I had nowhere else to release that pain. And teachers started noticing, and that's kind of how the whole process started of me realizing I do need to get help. Um, and it took years to convince my parents, but uh, after years of battling through that, um, it got to a really bad point where I was hospitalized. And it was actually after the first time I came out of the hospital, that is when my parents finally agreed to start some sort of treatment. And so that's when I started uh, psychotherapy for the first time. So you said the the counseling session, mm -hmm. the one um, took place when you were in seventh grade, and yes. then after you know your hospitalization, then you were able to receive treatment after your parents 
guess, um, okay. So yeah. how many years that was, was that in between? Uh, there was about four years in between, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because I was hospitalized the summer of my junior year of high school. Um, oh, actually, no, I'm sorry. It was sophomore year of high school. So it was about three years um, in between. Uh, but since then, I've been receiving therapy. So since that um, first kind of support structure was in place after uh, you said you were hospitalized, how did your parents react? And then now mm. how were your, how was your um, own mental health um, diagnoses now? And I guess in terms of the support, how was it being recognized? Yes. And how did you feel? Yeah, um, so my parents found out that I ended up in the hospital from the hospital calling them. Um, They didn't bring me. I know that's pretty common. Some parents bring their children to the hospital to keep them safe. I was found by the police um, after my first suicide attempt. Um, So they actually found out I was in the hospital by coming to the hospital and seeing me there, um, which I'm sure it was very difficult. they tried their best to be supportive. My dad uh, tried very hard to be supportive. My mom kind of freaked out a bit, um, which I know is pretty common for parents that are noticing this in their children for the first time. It's kind of like out of nowhere and they don't know how to deal with it. They don't know how to help their children. Um, But my dad, starting from that day on, he definitely changed a lot just his mentality and mindset towards mental health too. He realized like this is something I need to take seriously now for my daughter's own well-being and life, if anything. Um, so he was on board pretty much after that. My mom, it took a, a bit more time to convince, but um, the hospitalization is truly the turning point. And so actually when I first entered the hospital, I was about 15, I think, 16. And I was actually diagnosed with major depressive disorder and panic disorder. So those were my original diagnoses back then. Um, And those were definitely uh, the disorders that I suffered with at that time. I used to have panic attacks daily. Um, I had to stop school and become homeschooled because I'd have panic attacks every day in class. So after I was diagnosed with that, um, the hospital, when you get released from there, they also set you up with like a plan for the next steps. What are you going to do now to keep yourself safe? And so they kind of forced my parents to follow that plan pretty much. And that's how I started getting uh, professional help. Um, So the next few years were really tough. I, I thought things would get better, but if anything, it definitely went the opposite route. Um, as I said, mentioned before, I had to leave school, um, become homeschooled. I ended. I attended a outpatient program at a hospital nearby my home, and every day from eight to three, I went to the hospital, and then at night I would come home and do school. Um, so it was very much not a typical high school life, um, but. I think it was absolutely necessary for me to go through that treatment and go through all of that. Um, and as the years have progressed, uh, I've gotten so much better with dealing with my panic disorder and 
they've lessened each year and now I only get one maybe once every three, two, three months compared to back then every day. So definitely a lot of improvement. Um, and once I got to Minnesota, I had to find new treatment. So I went into MCP, Minnesota Center for Psychology, and I had an intake assessment. Um, and that's where they re-diagnosed me because it had been a few years since I had been diagnosed. And here in Minnesota is where I received the diagnosis of borderline personality disorder and PTSD, um, which it is much more fitting to me now. So I also learned that like mental disorders can shift in someone's life and um, your symptoms can change. And honestly, uh, my depression has been a lot better. I, it's almost not even there anymore, which is, I'm really thankful. Um, but it's definitely shifted towards different sort of issues that I've been dealing with. So with the treatment that you received in California, and now you're, of course, a student here at the University of Minnesota, and you said you're currently going to um, MCP. Mm-hmm. Can you describe uh, how those two, how has the treatment differed at all? Yeah, it's definitely been different. Um, I've struggled a lot trying to transition and adapt to Minnesota. Um, I think the biggest reason is because I grew up in such a diverse area. Um, Coming here was very different. Um, I also noticed, uh, I mean, and it's not, uh, there's no blame for anyone. It's not um, anyone's fault, but just because I feel like there is less diversity here in Minnesota, it's harder for most people to understand other cultural perspectives. Um, I noticed that things that I wouldn't have to explain in California, I'd have to explain here. Um, and that became, and it became hard too when people did not understand me in the way I was used to being understood. And, um, but I do notice that people here are very willing to learn. Um, and I think that's why it's important for minorities to speak up and talk about how they feel because it's not that people of uh, Caucasian people are not willing to learn, they are, it's it's just, because for me, I never had to think about these things growing up because I was just naturally exposed. It was just a part of my everyday life. I didn't have to go out of my way to learn about other cultures. It was just around me all the time. So coming here was extremely difficult. Um, I definitely felt outcasted often. Um, even within treatment, I'd say, uh, I attend a therapy group and I noticed that things that people talked about in group, I no longer could relate to. Um, I feel like over here, family is a lot more, um, uh, there's a lot of importance in family here. Um, and I think I really admire that and that's something that I've always wanted in my life so I just noticed there are different types of issues that people go through um, between these two states in Minnesota um, family structures are quite prevalent and uh, well set I feel like people here have pretty strong family structures that's actually not something that I saw common in California Um, so it was almost weird for me to come here and see my friends like being so close to their parents because 
in California, that's actually not common a lot of times. Um, and I think it has to do with, um, in white families, they really value like being a tight knit family. Um, and in other cultures, it's a little bit more separate. Um, it's more about focusing on success or yourself in a way. Um, but I just notice a lot of differences in what people go through in general. And um, for me, uh, I would say it was also weird too that coming to Minnesota, I remember my first few years, I felt very outcasted. And I went to go seek advice and people advised me to like join the Chinese cultural club and stuff. And that was weird to me because although that was perfectly great advice, I never had to seek out a Chinese cultural club to feel accepted back at home, but then I have to here. So it's just, that difference just really made it difficult for me to adjust to this place. But I've also found great things about Minnesota that I could never find in California. And I'm really grateful that I came here because I feel like I've learned about a whole different perspective and a whole new side of our country that I can now use in my future um, when I'm helping my future clients because I know I'm going to be meeting people from all different walks of life and all different areas and it truly differs. Um, the culture shock is definitely real and I only hope that people will do more to try to connect and learn about each other's cultures rather than stick in their bubble because I noticed that's kind of a thing too here. I noticed kind of a bubble of just being raised and born and raised in the Midwest and you kind of just want to stay here in the Midwest and don't really want to branch out. I noticed that within uh, a lot of my friends here. Um, and the mindset in California is quite different. Um, so I really just hope that everyone is more accepting and willing to understand other cultures more. And then just, you said, talked a little bit more about uh, the two cultural makeup of uh, Minnesota and California, I would say for California, really the family is a, a network, but it's not, you know, the the central yeah, unit. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. Um, versus Minnesota yeah. is. So how is that factored into your um support of, of, of your, your mental illness? I'm not going to lie. When I first came here and started noticing these differences, I had a lot of jealousy and almost slight like resentment that um, there's such a different type of lifestyle here. And I feel like um, I almost felt like I grew up with a lack of love compared to a lot of the families here and a lot of the typical way children here were raised. Um, and when I went back home over breaks and stuff and discussed this with my friends back in California, they also definitely noticed that difference. Uh, in general, it's taught me that I need to be more proactive myself in getting the help I need. Um, I feel like the differences, it plays a huge role, but uh, at the end of the day, like, we are given what we're born into. Like, you can't change anything about that. And um, seeing the differences at first was pretty hard for me. And uh, 
I took it pretty negatively. But then I realized that um, there are different types of support systems that everyone has. And in California, I feel like it might be more community-based and over here it might be more family-based and obviously that is not for everyone uh, um, but just from what I've seen in more in general I think that's what the biggest difference would be. So then from that uh, time from when you were in California to where you are now in Minnesota what has been the most then single influential support in your own uh, mental wellness journey Mm. um i have always kept in touch with my therapist back at home even though i have a new therapist here in minnesota um i think that would be one big source of help because he's known me since uh, my hospitalization days and so having someone that's been with me for that long um is really helpful while adjusting to a new place because he's able to give me help like through a perspective that um, is not like a newcomer, like therapists here having to start all over again. It's it's pretty tedious, like um, just developing that therapeutic relationship. It takes time. And since I already had one back in California, um, we agreed to stay in touch through Skype. And I would say that that was something that's helped me a lot through transitioning between the two states. So you talked about, too, now that your perspective has kind of remained, has it remained constant because of the connection with the therapist, or has it changed? My perspective on... On your own um, understanding of your your mental illness. Um, hmm, Definitely, I think, changed. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's changed in the biggest way... um, through my idea of, um, I always thought mental illness, like I knew it was not curable, like permanently, but I always thought like, you know, after going to therapy, it should be almost pretty much gone. But I think the biggest thing that I realized within these past few years is that it is not something that will ever leave my life. It's more of something that I just have to learn to cope with. Um, and once you learn how to cope with it, it's, it's totally possible to live a normal daily life with these disorders. So I think that was the biggest shift going from a mindset of like, why is this still prevalent in my life to more of, I understand it's going to stay in my life and that's totally okay. And there are ways to deal with it. So, so you said now that your um, mind shift has shifted, Mm -hmm. um, but you also talked about, you know, the family dynamic Mm -hmm. Um, and you said your father was really accepting. Yeah. However, just in terms of um, your cultural and racial identity, uh, how has that, you know, put into perspective again your understanding of the um, your own mental health um, and just the support structures now that you have in place? Yeah, um, definitely different. Um, uh, I would say even just um, after time has passed and with years doing therapy, um, it's kind of just become more normalized within my family, which is why I think it's so important to start somewhere, like to start treatment somewhere, start talking about it somewhere, because as time passes, it will become less awkward and less um, stigmatized. And I think that's definitely what happened within my family. 
Um, uh, for example, too, in terms of medication, my first year after being diagnosed, I was suggested to take medications, but my parents refused until a year and a half later, they realized I was not getting any better. And they thought, okay, we have to try medication at this point. I know so many people um, in the Asian community that struggle with mental disorders, but are not uh, accepted by their families or not comfortable discussing it. Um, and I think the more we talk about it within our culture and the more other families realize like, oh, if your daughter also has this, my son isn't like, he doesn't stand out that much then. Um, or it's not as unique or absurd as I thought it was because it's truly not. It's such a common thing. Um, but yeah, I think my parents... Uh, it took them a lot to learn um, about mental health. And I would say, I think that's one way that I feel happy to have been diagnosed. That sounds pretty weird saying it, but um, I'm honestly grateful that I went through this because it changed my parents' perspective so much. And hopefully they can spread that to their friends of their age and culture. So I think it just needs to be passed along. Just by talking about it now more, has that made you more comfortable just overall about how you are able to be supported by your family and your friends? Yeah, I would say for me, unfortunately, it got to the point where it was truly life or death. And being pushed to that point is kind of what forced me to open up. Um, I feel like if things were okay and I got some sort of support along the way, I probably would still be, um, pretty private about this, but I was at a very bad place in my life and I almost felt like I had no choice. Um, and so opening up was truly my only way of surviving at that point, um, it sounds very broad right now, but just thinking back to uh, certain moments that happened, um, it's hard to describe, but just, yeah, I for me, it was really just have like being forced to be pushed to that point. Um, for other people, I'm sure it's different, uh, but that was my situation, I'd say. So now just at the moment where you are presently, what words would you use to describe yourself? in terms of, again, your mental health mm -hmm. and um, wellness journey? Um, I definitely consider myself resilient. Um, I, I feel kind of funny saying this, but a lot of my close friends have described me with this word. Um, they say that I've uh, provided a lot of wisdom, so I consider myself pretty wise at my age. I know I'm so young still and I have much more to learn, but the experiences that I've gone through, I feel like it's forced me to mature a lot more quickly than people my age you know, normally. Um, and I see that, I used to see that as a curse because I thought, this is so unfair, like why me? Why do I have to go through this and learn this? Like I could care less. Um, but after getting through those moments, I realize it's truly a blessing. And now I have the chance. Now I can help my friends that are going through this. And um, I feel very validated um, 
uh, by a lot of my friends who have told me that my words have actually helped them. Um, because a lot of times uh, people our age honestly don't know how to deal with these issues. They don't know how to respond to people with severe mental disorders. Um, they don't know what to say besides it'll get better or time will heal. Like, But I'm able to say more than that and go deeper beyond that. And I think that's also why I chose to go into psychology because I just felt um, this is like my calling and I can't waste the experiences that I went through. And I know that I can benefit a lot of other people in the future if I open up and yeah. So what are your future plans, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, um, so I'm graduating a semester early. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> I'm graduating in fall of 2019, um, and I'm planning to take a semester off just to relax a bit. But I do plan to go to graduate school. Um, I want to get either a master's or a PsyD, which is like a psychology kind of form of PhD, mm -hmm. um, in clinical psychology. Um, so yeah, those are my future plans uh, and find some sort of job that I I don't very much value like making a ton of money. I rather um, I rather know that I f am making a difference in people's lives. Uh, and as long as I can live comfortably, I think that's all that matters for me. Yeah. Well, Jasmine, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today yeah. and um, for anybody else that um what would you say is just kind of parting words mm -hmm. that you would want our listeners to think about when they talk to say a younger person about mental illness because you said before that a lot of times yeah. people don't know what to say or yeah i would say hmm, um i think it's very important just to listen to one, one another. Um, I noticed, uh, I notice a lot oftentimes when it comes to talking about mental illness, unfortunately, I notice a lot of like one-upping, like who has it worse. And I don't think that's productive at all. And I think that is something that needs to change. And I'm not sure if that's just uh, my age group and like maybe it comes with maturity, but um, if I were to leave people with one last thought it would just be really just to listen to one another and um, empathize with one another um, it's not a competition we're all struggling together so what's important is to just listen and to accept um, and I think if you do that then the person next to you will respond in that way too and that will that is truly what benefits people in the end because in the end of the day, people just want to be understood. Um, that's truly it. That's uh, that's what I feel like is most important, and I hope that people will continue to destigmatize mental illness, but in a positive and impactful way as well. Not so much just throwing all the information out there and hoping for the best, but also doing it through a mature and helpful way for everyone. So connection. Yes, yeah. You know, empathy. Yes, yeah. empathy. Yeah. I think that's a huge cure for the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would definitely agree with that. Yeah. And Jasmine, was there anything else that you just kind of wanted our, our listeners to know or that you wanted to add? One final thought. I would say it's hard not to compare ourselves 
in this day and age. And I feel like that is a huge source of a lot of our mental health issues. Um, or even if it's not the source, it's what worsens it, um, just comparisons. And for me, comparing myself the way I grew up to the way people here grew up was definitely toxic for me. It was not helpful in any way. Um, so I encourage people who are maybe going through that mental shift right now to just throw that all out the window and just focus on what works for you um, because it truly differs for everyone and comparing ourselves uh, to one another is not helpful and it's counterproductive. Um, and treatment, in terms of treatment, everyone, it affects everyone differently. For some people, therapy is just not their thing. For some people, medication is not their thing. So I encourage people to go out and at least give any type of treatment a try. And then from there, you can decide whether or not it works for you. But don't say no before you try the type of treatment. And even if it, don't, it doesn't go well at first, don't give up because something unique about antidepressants, for example, and a lot of mental health treatments is um, the first one you try does not necessarily fit your needs. And you have to go through a period of trying out different medications or different types of therapy in order to find the right one. I know I went through probably three therapists before I found my, um, my go-to therapist that I stuck with for years. Um, and also, too, I've tried, uh, I've gone to a hypnotherapy appointment. Um, that didn't work as well for me versus going to like cognitive behavioral therapy. So just in that way too, um, sometimes people will say uh, that therapy didn't work for me, so they don't encourage others to try it. But even if something doesn't work for you, I would still say encourage others to try it out just in case it works for them. Yeah. So really it's about the individual. Yeah. You know, not that there's... Yeah. Because also you always eat... I don't mean to generalize, but often you hear of a one-size-fits-all approach. Yeah. And we still have to, you know, kind of yeah. keep it that, you know, treatment is individualized. Yeah, and I think that's... I appreciate that. That's what's confusing, too, about mental health, because every single... Even though you share the same diagnosis as someone, like, it can be so different. The symptoms can be so different. Um, and I think that's where people kind of struggle with whether or not it does feel like others can relate to you and because there's moments where you feel like oh I'm so glad others can relate to me on this and then there's moments where it's like but my problems are still very different from what they might uh, experience in their life and I think that's what makes it confusing and that's maybe where the uh, comparisons start to come in and uh, something that I learned in DBT is judgments they are a part of human life, they're not gonna go away. It's almost impossible for us to say, stop judging one another. But what matters is the type of judgments. There's a difference between uh, putting like an opinion behind a judgment and just stating it and just having a judgment. Um, because judgments are not always bad. Sometimes they help us. Sometimes they are like, um, sometimes they help us make better decisions um, they keep us out of trouble sometimes, um, but at the same time, judgments 
are usually seen as negative. And I think that if people were to understand more of how to uh, destigmatize judgments in a way, I don't know if that makes sense, but that will be very helpful too for everyone in the future. Thank you. Appreciate you taking the time to take, speak with us today, yeah, Jasmine. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. For additional resources related to this episode, please check the podcast show notes and visit NAMI Minnesota online at namimn.org. You've been listening to Wellness in Color on the Mental Health in Minnesota podcast produced by NAMI Minnesota.